Okay, we're continuing our series in Hebrews. Uh, so if you've got a Bible or you've got an app that's a Bible, uh, then search or adjust to Hebrews 4. And we're going to read from verse 14 in a moment. But uh, before we do that, I'll just encourage you, if you have a physical Bible, I, would, it, I, can, I can't endorse it enough that you bring your physical Bible uh, and you use that primarily to, uh, when you're reading Scripture, it will benefit you greatly. There's been studies have been done about how much better you retain information and how much better it helps you. Uh, but that being said, if you haven't got your Bible with you today, don't worry too much. Uh, it's still better than nothing. But I just would endorse again to you a physical Bible in a digital age, which I know sounds, uh, can sound a bit backwards, but it is beneficial to you. Uh, I haven't got the clicker. Uh, <laughs> I seem to abandon it every time. But if you're right to click onto the next slide, there should be a picture uh, coming up. I'm leaning on this and it's falling down. If you click onto the image... And you can tell me if you can see one more. Uh, do you know who this is? The Queen, yes. The Queen, and the Queen there is shaking hands, uh, receiving a gift of a small bunch of flowers from my sister-in-law. So this was, I think it was during the Golden Jubilee or the whatever Jubilee that was, uh, I think it was around 2002. Does that sound about right, Megan? Yeah, where she visited various places in, uh, in the, the country and was in Harrow, where my sister-in-law lives. And my sister-in-law had prayed that she would get to meet the Queen and shake her hand, something like that, um, which you don't shake the Queen's hand. You never ask to shake the Queen's hand. That's sort of not the done thing. But she was standing in the crowd as the Queen walked down the road and everyone was cheering and shouting, you know, Queenie, Queenie, look at me, um, or whatever they were saying. And... A security guard, one of the, you know, the fleet of security people, saw my sister-in-law with her bunch of flowers holding them out, lifted her over the barrier, placed her in front of the queen, and she got to you know, give her the flowers and shake her hand. She said, I think she said, can I shake your hand, which I think you're not meant to do, but youthful uh, enthusiasm. Uh, the queen did shake her hand. She got to be in the queen's presence, which... Uh, is, you know, is a big deal, isn't it? You may have heard a story similar to that in the past about a man who was trying to, to meet with the president of the United States. And he was trying to get an audience with the president. And he just he couldn't get in. And he was in the park nearby and he sat on a bench and he was looking upset. And this young man came and sat next to him and said to him, oh, are you okay? What's, you know, what's wrong? You look a bit upset. He said, I'm trying to meet the president to speak about this thing. And the guy said, oh, well, come with me. And the young man took him and they walked to the gate and they walked past security and they walked to the, the next checkpoint and they walked past security all the way through to the Oval Office where the president is. And the young man knocked on the door. Come in. He walked in walked up and said, Dad, this guy needs to talk to you. This, this man was granted access because he was with the son. My sister-in-law was granted access. She was plucked by someone who had the authority to do it and placed in front of the queen. Let's read Hebrews 4 from verse 14 together. I need to turn there now. starting from verse 14. We're going to go all the way to the end 
of chapter 5. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer for his own sins, a sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. the word of God. We're going to basically camp out a little bit in the, the first three verses. They're going to be our main, that I read, our main sort of target for this morning. But it's important to, that we're reading these sort of additional verses, these sort of surrounding, the surrounding chapter to give us a bit of a clue and a help to understand these things. Again, there are several sermons that could be preached from this passage or from these verses I want to try and, as I said, simplify things for us a little bit, almost reducing things down slightly, like a, a source. When you reduce, you know, a, a source reduction, you take something that's sort of quite bland and mild, perhaps, and you reduce it down, and it intensifies the flavour and the strength. Hopefully, that's what we're going to do this morning. And so, I want to just give you four words from this, effectively, that are going to speak to us this morning. Go on to the next slide. Four words, two sentences, maybe one sentence with a comma. Draw near and hold fast. That's what I believe God wants to speak to us this morning. Draw near and hold fast. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and is doing, we can draw near to God. And reminding ourselves of that repeatedly helps us to hold fast. A few weeks ago, I spoke about this. There's a drift that can happen when we pay no mind to the gospel. There's a drift that can happen. 
And so I just want to encourage you this morning to say, say, draw near. You can draw near and you can hold fast. These are two things that are available to you. And so this morning, I want to look at what it means that Jesus is the superior high priest. What does that mean? Read those first three verses again. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. So since we have a great high priest, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive and find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What high priest, imagine for a second you were to describe Jesus to someone. Maybe you've had a conversation recently where you've been trying to share the gospel and explain this is what Jesus is like. I wonder if you said, he's like a high priest. I imagine that wasn't your go-to analogy for Jesus. But that's what he's described as here. There is a reason for this. this. It wasn't accidental that Jesus is described and perform, is, is described as performing the function of the high priest. And he spoke last week about this, almost this idea of looking at, oh, this person in the Old Testament, oh, is this the one? No, it's not them. Is it, is it David? Is David going to be the one? Oh, no, it wasn't him. Is it Moses? Moses is, oh, fantastic, well done, Moses. Oh, no, he, he's not quite got it. And all that these things are building up to Jesus. Later on in Hebrews, it talks about the shadow of, of things of, to come, that these things were a, a picture, a representation for what was going to be fulfilled in Jesus. And so the high priest, the function of the high priest, if you cast your mind back... Oof, Early COVID, if I can use that kind of uh, terminology, when we were doing our Exodus series, and Andy spoke about the, the, the tabernacle and the high priest going in and, and through all these different stages, wash here, go into this bit, do this ritual, go into the next bit. And the, the priest served in the tabernacle, the high priest could go into the, the holiest place. And even then, only once a year, Jesus is a great high priest, the great high priest. God, this is slipping every time I touch it. Um, God designed that whole system to tell us something about Jesus so that when Jesus came into the world, we would have some frame of reference for him. We would have some categories to say, this is what he's like. The high priest who takes in the sacrifice for the people's sins who is able to be in the presence of God. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who's in the presence of God. Now, Jesus, the Son of God. Chapter 5 of Hebrews goes on to talk about the, the idea that the, the priest has to sacrifice for his own sins. 
and therefore is, he knows he's beset with weakness, he's able to sympathize. But Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus didn't have to sacrifice for his own sins, but yet he is still able to sympathize with us. He's passed through the heavens. His location is in the presence of God. He is able to sympathize with us because he's been tempted as we have in every way, but is without sin. He is eternally able to save. This idea of a high priest, of, of sacrifice, it communicates. That if, imagine you're a novice in the gospel. You're a novice in the things of God. This idea that there's someone who plays a role between the human race and God. That God has been wronged and that the human race has done that wronging. And so something needs to happen in order to bridge that gap to appease the anger of God. The high priest is the one who performs that function. Um, But we can see that that's never going to work with a human high priest. One who himself is saying, I'm one of the ones who's done the wronging, but I'm going to try and kind of bridge this gap. Job, in his reflection, says... I wish that I had an advocate on high, someone who could lay a hand on on not just me and stand with me, but could also lay a hand on God and say, let me try and bridge this gap. And that is why Jesus is a superior high priest. Because as the son of God, as God incarnate, he is able to lay a hand on God and on humanity and bridge that gap. He is superior. He doesn't have to atone for his own sin. The sacrifices he makes, he doesn't have to repeatedly make them. He's not a weak, flawed individual. He has passed through the heavens. He is the son of God. He's not a descendant of Aaron. He's not a part of that priesthood because of that. He's the son of God. He's able to sympathize. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was without sin. You know, I've heard people say, how, how can he like, sympathize with me? You know, he doesn't know what it's like to have a phone. How does he know? How can he sympathize about the distraction of a phone? Well, Jesus was never married. He doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't know what it's like when his wife's at him. He doesn't know what it's like when his children are winding him up. I'm not speaking from experience. I'm just <laughs> I, I'm recounting what other people have said. No one in this room, of course. Um, <laughs> he doesn't know what it's like when he's tired and his kids have been up all night and he's got to you know, get up and go to work. He has been tempted in every way. It might not be the exact same scenario, but the sin and the temptation is the same. But he never sinned, so how could he know what it's really like? C.S. Lewis says this. It's going to come up on the screen, hopefully. Gareth is doing a fantastic job. Thank you. C.S. Lewis said this. Oh, Jenny, what? <laughs> What's happened? <laughs> He's Gareth. Gareth is in a lot of pain. He's done a fantastic job this morning. He's, uh, he's, he's in pain. He's, uh, we'll pray for him in a minute. C.S. Lewis said this. No man or woman knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. 
This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. I'm going to read that again. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. I wonder if you've ever thought of it like that. I wonder if you've ever experienced that intensity of temptation, resisted for five minutes. Oh, it was so difficult. I had to eat it. I couldn't, I couldn't stop myself from being gluttonous. What would that temptation have been like an hour later? Jesus never gave in. Temptation, 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 temptation. As he lays his head down to sleep, temptation. You could just give in. Just Peter is really getting annoying. You could just snap at him once. <laughs> just, just, just tell him to shut up. Come on. Now, Jesus was not a pushover. He was, you know, he gave strong correction to people. It's not to say he didn't speak forcefully, but he never did it sinfully. Now, he says to one of his best friends, get behind me, Satan. I said, you know, if, you, if one of your best mates said that to you, you'd think, oh, they're probably in the wrong. But he wasn't. He never gave in. Never gave in to temptation. He didn't need, because of that, he didn't need to make up for his own weakness or sin. He's a high priest who can deal... The high priest deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness because he is obligated to offer... And because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. Jesus doesn't need to offer those sacrifices because he doesn't have any sins. But he still deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward. You know, maybe if you're... If you're, (laughs) I won't say that. (laughs) He's able to eternally serve. Jesus is able to eternally serve. He's described as a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 7 goes on to talk about what that means a little bit more. And we'll sort of borrow a few verses from that because uh, when chapter 7 is preached on, it's not going to be specifically looking at that. But... What that means, what does that mean? The order of Melchizedek. Well, who is this guy? Chapter 7 explains it for us a bit. It says in verses 23 to 27, it says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, 
holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. When it's talking about the, the uh, Melchizedek, it's saying, it says in the first few verses of chapter 7, let me read it. For this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of most high God, met Abraham. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And he is then also the king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. It then goes on to talk about how Abraham, who is the, you know, the, the father of the nation, is blessed by Melchizedek. And it says that the, the lesser is always blessed by the superior. So the father of the nation was blessed by someone who was superior to him. But the point for us this morning is that Jesus is referred to as a, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, without end, a priest forever. And that's where those verses come in. It says that the previous priests, because they died, little spoiler alert for you, Andy and I will not be the elders of this church in a hundred years time, unless there are some serious medical advances. <laughs> Allegedly, the first person to live you know, in modern times, over 150 has been born already, you know, according to medical science. Um, <laughs> a character in a sitcom says, and I am that man who's, you know, dedicated themselves to being fit. We will die. Our sort of tenure, our time of leading this church will, will end, whether we're moved on by God or we die. The priests in the Old Testament, they all died. But Jesus is able, by, by virtue of his indestructible life, is able to continually serve in that position of high priest. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Therefore, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you know that? Jesus lives to make intercession for you. I think we've talked about this before. Your raison d'etre, I butcher the, you know, the French language. I'm not a languages guy. What's your reason for existing? What do you live for? Hebrews tells us he all, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. So I want to return to this idea, these two statements, draw near, hold fast. That's who we have. We have such a great high priest, one who is able to stand permanently and, and plead on our behalf to God. Let us draw near. 
verse 16 of Hebrews 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When temptation comes, when we're trying to resist or when we've failed, we've given in after five minutes, the best tactic then of the enemy is to say, you call yourself a Christian. You think God loves you? You've got to be kidding. He can't even stand to look at you. And in one sense, that's true because we know God can't look on sin. But in another sense, it's a lie because we have a great high priest who's able to deal gently and graciously with us and say, you need mercy, you need grace, come with me. We're going to see my dad. Like that young man did with the fellow he met on the bench. Come with me, we're going to see my dad. We can sort this out. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. I'm feeling tempted. How could I be tempted? I can't even go to God. I'm feeling tempted to, to do whatever. That's when you need grace. That's when you need mercy. There are two, as I understand it, and you know, I'm a simple guy, there are two prerequisites to receiving help from God. Having a need and then drawing near to God. That's it. Don't have to have done anything. You don't have to be any you know, particular level of intelligence. You just need to have a need, which I'm sure we all do. We need to, I need some mercy. I need some grace from God. And then we need to draw near to God. Do you have a need? Do you have a need for rest or encouragement or support? I'll tell you this. Facebook, Netflix, and the fridge aren't going to do it for you. Maybe, I was unsure whether to say this. If you're one of these people, it's absolutely fine. I just don't understand. When people write on Facebook, you know, they sort of spill their life story on there. And I think, man, like this is, this is like serious stuff you're saying. If I had that issue in my life, I would go and talk, talk to someone. And maybe, you know, you've not got someone you can talk to. So you just spill it out into the, the ether of the internet because you need some support and help. Where you need to go is to the throne. You need to go to the throne of grace. You need to draw near to God. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That might not be the correct reference. I think it is. I'm terrible with references, but I know that Jesus said that. (laughs) Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Are you weary this morning? Are you heavy laden? you do with the rest be nice tell you this Sunday isn't enough this morning isn't enough you are not going to make it through the week if this is all you've got I am uh, kind of I'm not fully committed to it yet I'm in the process of learning to hold my breath for four minutes that's my target four minutes any human being within reason, 
can hold their breath for four minutes with training. So I'm, I'm sort of like a couple of days into training with this app um, that teaches you how to do it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Your, your body is a gift from God. Why not celebrate it and see all that you can achieve with it um, for fun? The world record, any guesses the world record for holding your breath? Six, eight, 20 is a little bit high. 11 and 47 seconds or something. It's almost 12 minutes. That is wild, isn't it? They weren't dead afterwards. That's all the, you know... <laughs> Lots of the comments, you know, people saying, oh, you know, my brother's been doing it for three days and he hasn't even moved, you know, those sorts of things. <laughs> Twelve minutes almost. <laughs> yeah, let that one sink in. <laughs> Twelve minutes. The, the actual, like, the longest time is David Blaine, who did 16 minutes, but he breathed in oxygen-enriched air, so he extended his time. Point being... It seems like a long time, doesn't it? 12 minutes. It's not really that long. Imagine you could only breathe in this room and you tried to live your life and you got out the door and you were driving away. You know, if you followed my app plan, you'd get four minutes down the road. If you were the world record holder, you would get 12 minutes down the road. Sunday is not enough. To suck it. You can't suck in enough spiritual oxygen to last you for the week. Draw near to God. Do it daily. Do it more than daily. Have a little, a little thing that you read in the morning, then maybe over lunch, have something else that you look at or you listen to something on your commute to work. As you drift off to sleep or as you're getting ready for bed what is it that's your winding down routine draw near to God and then once you're there hold fast don't drift away Verse 14 of chapter 4 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Contrast that with chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. We need to pay attention so that we can hold fast. We need to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done so that we can hold fast our confession and not drift away. When it seems difficult, when it feels easier to give up, hold fast to our confession. What was your confession? I think this is often a problem for us because if we've responded to a gospel call, which is, if you want Jesus to make your life better, stick your hand up now. And you think, well, I want my life to be better. I'll put my hand up. The confession is, Jesus, save me. I know I've wronged God. I'm far from him. I want to be, I, I want to be cleansed. I want to be right with God again. Save me. Save me from an eternity separated from 
the one who made me and loves me and knows me and wants to enrich me in ways that I don't understand. Jesus, save me from my sin. If that's your confession, it's, it's, we're in a better position, aren't we? If we've understood the gospel, we must continually remind ourselves of it. We must preach the gospel to ourselves. Is it getting hot in here? Is it me? It feels like it's getting quite warm. Um, we must continually remind ourselves of the gospel. We must preach the gospel to ourselves. When did you last remind yourself of it? This is what Jesus has done for me. We sang that song this morning. I can't remember the thing. Uh, for all that you've done for me, worthy is a lamb that is slain. This is amazing grace. I can't remember the bit that I Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. That's why we sing, isn't it? We're not just having a good time. Had a little bit of a moment, to be honest. I was watching my newly eight-year-old daughter standing there singing, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. And I'm thinking, I hope she does. I, ho I hope that's true for her. I hope that she is singing for all that Jesus has done for her. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel and how it integrates and infiltrates every area of life. Put things in your life that help you to hold on and hold fast. Not draw you away. When do you go to, this is just some very practical tips, when do you go to and get out of bed? Is that, this is just an example of how this can help you draw, draw you to or from the gospel. Have you arranged your day to help draw you to God? Or do you just let yourself drift through? Now, by no means am I saying this to you as the finished article. But actually, if you know, oh, you know I'm drifting, I just, I'm going to bed a bit later, a bit later, it means I don't get up in the morning as early as I'd like to, which that's the time that I said I'd read my Bible. But it's okay, I'll just have a lie in this week. Oh, no, I need to get ready for work. Oh, no, I've missed my Bible reading this week. Oh, it's two weeks, it's three weeks, it's four weeks. I'll find a different time slot to do it. Oh, no, I haven't found it. I'm not condemning you. I'm saying the gospel, how, how we live our lives, how we gear our lives up, how we engineer them should help us draw us to God and help us to hold fast, keep us in the right lane. Like, I don't know if you know this, I remember watching a film, I think it had, Robson and Jerome, it had one of those in it, and he was a blind runner. It's a true story, and he was running. He was practicing running, and he had someone who ran with him to say, left, 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 right, 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 left, 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 you know, to keep him in lane. You need things like that in your life. You need people like that in your life who are going to say, no, you need to stay in lane, left a bit, right a bit. When was the last time you read your Bible? When did you last pray? When did you last ask to be filled with the Spirit? Afresh. When did you stretch yourself? When did you share the gospel with someone? When you watch TV, are you watching it with a gospel lens? Or are you just accepting everything that comes out of it to you? When we read a book, are we reading it with a gospel lens? What narrative is this telling me? Is this telling me that, hey, everything's okay? Do what you, you know, 
do what feels good to you. Read these, read, watch, watch films, watch TV, read books, but look for what's the messages that are in there. Because if we're not able to see those messages, we're not able to help other people see them and we're not able to show how actually the gospel corrects what's wrong there or really fulfills what they're after. Let's engineer our lives to help us to hold fast. Draw near, hold fast. Brothers and sisters, let's help one another. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. In every respect, in every respect has been tempted. He is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you far from God this morning? Do you need to draw near? Do you think, oh, it's only one step, but I've, I've drifted a bit. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe it's six months worth of steps. Do you need to draw near this morning? The good news is Jesus is the, the security guard who plucks you out of the crowd and sets you down in front of royalty. He's the one who says, come with me, we're going to see my dad. Have you drifted away? Do you need to return? Do you feel like you're being pulled away? Or do you feel like, actually, I've just, just through life, I've just not really made it a priority. I need to reorder my priorities. Lean on those around you. Let them help you. Generally speaking, other people are much better at prioritizing your life than you will be. If you find the right people, they will enjoy it <laughs> as well. Let's lean on one another. Let's not try and solo the Christian life. It's not meant to be like that. Let me pray for us and then... The band can lead us in a song of reflection. And then there are people who would love to pray with you. If you're online, there are people who would love to pray with you. I just want to encourage you. If you feel I need to draw near, I feel like I've drifted. Don't let this moment pass you by. There would be other moments if you do, because God is gracious don't, don't waste another day. Don't let this moment pass you by. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who, who you wanted to speak to. Who need to hear that. Draw near. Draw near. Come, come to me, all who are heavy, who are heavy burdened who are weighed down, who are struggling, who are just 
finding it difficult to find their way. Draw near. That's what God's saying to you. Draw near. Come to me. Come. Come on. Father, I pray those of us who have drawn near would hold fast. We would be on the lookout for the little things that would come in to try and draw us away, try and tug us away. Give us strength to hold fast, empower us by the Holy Spirit to follow you so closely. Keep us in step with the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are such a great high priest that there's no need for a high priest anymore. The old system is done because you have superseded it. I thank you that you resisted temptation, that you're able to sympathize with us. You know our weakness. Well, our feeble frame, he knows. And yet you are so gracious and kind to us. Thank you, Lord.